week on Dig Me Out. Tim and Jay review Give Out But Don't Give Up by Primal Scream. You know, Rocks is probably the best song, the best Rolling Stones song of the 90s. A band that had just won a prize for making yeah. a completely original and unique record comes back with this, and I, I would imagine people were like, what the hell? And none of this lover's lament crap. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, the Tonto to my Lone Ranger, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we have not uh, received any monetary funds to plug the new movie Lone Ranger. I just thought that was an appropriate uh, comparison to uh, make. I could really use our help. Got a, It's getting horrible reviews. Really? Yeah. My wife's really into the uh, the Johnny Depp of Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, so I figured mm-hmm. she'd be into that, and she saw the previews and thought it looked awful. It's the same director, too, Gore Verbinski. Yeah, right, right. And yeah. growing up, I was like, I loved The Lone Ranger growing up, so I was kind of holding out hope that it might end up being cool, but it looked very odd, to say the least. Uh, there's a review by uh, Richard Ropert of the, uh, I think, the Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, he says uh, something along the lines of, some movies are for everybody. This movie is for nobody. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's his uh, equivalent to shit sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of shit sandwiches. No, I'm just kidding. Mm. We're, uh, we're going with one of my picks on this episode. It's been a while since I've, I've actually picked an album for us to review that didn't involve us having like a guest on. So this is just you and me chit-chatting about a record that I'm picking. And um, I picked it because uh, it's Primal Scream. And they just put out a new record a couple months ago. And they've been consistent. It was their 10th album. And they're a band I've always sort of been intrigued by. Haven't always loved everything they've done. But I've always checked out since uh, probably the Exterminator album is where I started, started getting into them and then sort of went backwards. But this is an album that we're going to do, Give Out, Don't Give Up, that has confounded me uh, in their overall catalog. And I don't, Jay, are you familiar with this record? Yeah, this is really the only one that I am familiar with. Okay. So for those of you not familiar with Primal Scream, I'm going to do a, a kind of a brief history. They have a long history, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten it up and so we can get into the record review. So here's the history of Primal Scream. History of the band. Formed in Glasgow, or Glasgow, however you pronounce that, Scotland, in 1982. Uh, Bobby Gillespie is the main founder of the band. And what's interesting is he was playing drums in the Jesus and Mary chain when he founded uh, Primal Scream. And two years later, they basically told him, you got to pick a band. And he said, I'm picking Primal Scream. In the time since uh, he formed the band, there have been over 20 different members in Primal Scream. He's getting into like LA Guns territory with that. <laughs> uh, oh, good analogy. Yes. Uh, they've included such uh, rock luminaries as Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine and Manny of the Stone Roses. So it's not just he's had you know musicians coming in and playing. He's had some heavy hitters uh, come in and play on records. And, and actually Kevin Shields has been a part of the band for quite some time. So they released their first album in September of 1987 called Sonic Flower Groove on Elevation Records. 
Their second album, Primal Scream, released in September of 1989 on Creation Records. Screamadelica, September of 1991, also on Creation. Now, Screamadelica is important because it won the very first Mercury Prize, which is the prize given out to an album of the year um, in the UK. And um, it beat out a Jesus and Mary Chain album that same year. So, Mm. yes. Their fourth album, which we're reviewing, Give Out But Don't Give Up, was released in March of 1984 on Creation Records. Their fifth album, Vanishing Point, released July of 1997 on Creation Records. Exterminator, their sixth album, released January of 2000 on Creation Records, followed up by Evil Heat. Seventh album, August 2002 on Sony. Their eighth album, Riot City Blues, released in June of 2006 on Sony. Their ninth album, Beautiful Future, released July of 2008 on Atlantic. And as I mentioned, their most recent album, More Light, released May of 2013 on Ignition Records. So this was my pick, Jay. I want to remind everybody that they can make their pick for an album by going to our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, and our request a review link where they can request an album for us to review. We didn't get any Facebook feedback, so I can skip it on this one. We can get right into the album. So this is the only Primal Scream album you're familiar with. You haven't heard... Have you heard any other songs, or are you just not familiar with anything else besides this record? Yeah, I sampled uh, Vanishing Point and uh, Exterminator, and I think that's it after that. I mean, I, I, you know, either through you or somewhere I'd heard stuff from them. I don't, I just remember it being very different than this, so I wasn't sure what was going on. Right. And and got confused and left and walked out (laughs) of the room. So while you were in the room with uh, "Give Out But Don't Give Up," what did what did you mm-hmm. think? What's your what's your take on this record? Well, this is a record that uh, I remember. I was trying to put the timeline together. Uh, I guess I'm kind of surprised it came out in '94. For some reason, I'm. I, I don't know. In my memory, it seems like it's older than older than that. Because um, I remember the the single for "Rocks" being on MTV. And, you know, being into it, it touches on a lot of, you know, styles of music that I like, or, or, you know, that are at least in my, in my, um, in my, you know, soft spot, the, the, what I've gravitate, tend to gravitate to. So uh, I, th- I think at that time I was, um, going to the library a lot and like getting CDs from there and, and checking bands out. So I think I went and got this album around when it came out based on that single and, you know, gave it a couple spins, might have even like dubbed it to a cassette or something, but essentially, you know, didn't really take away much other than, you know, I like the song rocks. So I kind of remember just in general, the rest of the album wasn't, at least in my memory, wasn't that strong. So going back uh, now, that was sort of my mission to, to see if it made any more sense now than it did then. You know, in general, my take after listening, spending some time with it recently is that, you know, Rocks is probably the best song, the best Rolling Stones song of the 90s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Call on Me and Jailbird are also very much in the, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones vein. And I think they're, you know, fairly well written, um, you know, kind of blues based, fun, you know, pop rock songs. And they share 
um, a certain uh, production and sort of um, instrumentation and uh, an approach. I think they all have, you know, prominent background vocals. Um, they also feature a lot of honky tonk piano and, you know, horns and uh, harmonica, you know, that, that sort of extra stuff. Then there's this group of songs that is the same instrumentation, but they're not a beat and fun. They're, you know, ballads. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like five ballads on this record. Yeah. That all sound like, again, they're in, sort of like they could be Rolling Stone songs, but they're sort of forgettable. Uh, to me, they came off as sort of more forgettable Rolling Stone songs with subpar vocal. And then there's like, what's see, Funky Jam, Strutton, and Give Out but, um, but Don't Give Up, which are essentially, I don't know, what would you call them? Sort of uh, jams, but sort of instrumental explorations, long, mm-hmm. um, kind of loop kind of loop based but you know kind of album tracks i guess maybe yeah. maybe you could tell me better but maybe like hints to where this band's going to go in the future well really more where they were because if you listen to scream Adelica at all that was what they were doing okay so i think what at the end of the day i think you know for me there's you know three songs on here that really hold up although jailbird is odd because for some reason features a drum loop or drum machine, but the other, a lot of the other material doesn't. It just kind of, it's an interesting choice. I I know they ended up using a lot more drum machines later, but on this record, it's sort of like they're going for this Rolling Stones vibe. And then the the first song on the the album sounds like it's a, a drum track taken off a run DMC record, which is kind of strange, but think really stood out to me why i think this record doesn't work for me as much as i i I wish it did is um i think the vocal i I think he's 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 very comfortable and it works fine when there's a ton of background vocals and tons of production and, and 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 support around the vocal but on these ballads these five ballads on here which is way too many you know that's the kind of material that really exposes your voice and you kind of have two ways to go with it either you can be kind of a Jarvis Cocker or Greg Dooley type who, you know, they can be in that 
that that place. They're not fantastic singers, but they have so much personality and they just go for it. And sort of they, they're able to communicate some some vulnerability, even though and, and some emotion without always being, you know, dead on key and sounding fantastic. He's just uh, he's trying to sound like sing like Mick Jagger, but he can't. And it, yeah. it's, it exposes that on those songs. Even to the point where, like, one of the songs, I think it's it's free. That it, he doesn't even sing on. They just have a um, a female. I guess one of the backup singers just takes the lead and sings the whole yeah, song. Yeah, that's um, Denise Johnson, who has sung with Primal Scream on a variety of different albums and songs and stuff like that. So she's familiar so, to the to the band. And that just kind of amplified the difference between the quality of the voices. So. You know, I, I love all kinds of different voices, but it's like for this kind of material and for, for how it's produced and what the sentiment they're going for, you kind of got to figure out, you either got to be a great singer that can pull it off or you got to figure out some you, some technique where you where you just expose yourself and you go for it. And he doesn't do that. He kind of holds back and uh, doesn't quite come together. Uh, on a lot of that material, I, was, I was, couldn't help but keep thinking of a uh, movie, That Thing You Do. And at the end, Mr. White uh, says to Jimmy, uh, "None of this lovers lament crap. I want, I want you to write something, write something snappy, something upbeat, and like that." I could, just couldn't help but keep thinking, hearing that quote in my head because I'm like, "Why are you insisting on doing all of these lovers lament ballads that you just can't quite pull off when you can do the upbeat stuff so much better?" Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with this. Well, How about you? It, it, it's interesting because this is the oddball in the whole Primal Scream catalog. And like I mentioned, I started getting into them on their seventh album, or sorry, sixth album, Exterminator, which is, you couldn't get farther apart in terms of albums. Exterminator is extremely harsh. It's all loops. It's distorted bass lines and drums. It's at points like industrial sounding. It's got overtly political lyrics like kill all hippies is one of the, is the title is, is the first song and then like the big single with swastika eyes i mean it, it is a blatantly political harsh record and to go back and listen to this and then compare it to the records that came before it and after it screamadelica came before which was a foundational record of like the madchester movement with the happy mondays and the stone roses and then the album that came after it which was vanishing point which I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Vanishing Point from the 70s, uh, but it's basically he wrote it as his soundtrack to that movie. It's basically about a, it's a car movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting album in that it's a lot of instrument, not instrumentals, but there's a lot of, not a lot of vocal on the record. And it's pretty dark and you get a, a different side of, you get sort of where they were going towards Exterminator um, from Vanishing Point. Like, it's a logical progression to go, but there's no... Lo- and it, Screamadelica would have been a logical progression towards Vanishing Point, but the fact that Give Out But Don't Give Up is in between, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't make any sense until you read, like, they were deep, deep, deep into heroin during the Screamadelica tour to the point where there's a, there's an article where some journalist was backstage at a show of theirs and they were having an argument about ordering Chinese, Vietnamese, or Indian... And he's like, oh, are you going to order dinner? And he's like, no, we're ordering our heroin. <laughs> and so if you think about 
The Stones, and you think about Exile on Main Street, which this album harkens back to, that was when Keith Richards was deep into a lot of heroin use. So it's, mm-hmm. I think it sort of makes sense that, you know, they, they kind of saw the scene as, I think, collapsing that they were involved with, and they wanted to go in a different direction. And I don't know if it was natural based on their drug of choice at the time or what, but they wanted to make a a record which was in the antithesis of that time, mm. which if they were trying to make a, a record that had been you know, of the time, they would have made an Oasis record. But this mm. is wildly different than an Oasis record. This is the small faces, and this is, you know, yeah. there's elements of, like you mentioned, with like funk, which George Clinton actually appears on the record um, on track 10, the title track, Give Out But Don't Give Up. Mm. And it's a is very the- P-funk style sound, sounding song is that the vocal the second vocal yeah it's the second vocal oh yeah that's george clinton i knew it wasn't him yeah <laughs> and now, i do like the exchange between that vocal and the female vocal on that song yeah and i, I mean that, that song's not instrumentation cool. gets annoying after a while but i do like that exchange right it it, it, it works up to a certain point it's not a great song but it, it works two instrumentals are awful yeah um they they kill the record especially the strutton yeah it's over eight it's over it's like eight and a half minutes long it's just it just murders the momentum of the record because you got call on me which is a nice mid-tempo you know stonesy small faces-esque rock song Mm -hmm. and it's just plunked down in the middle of this record and just kills it and it's I'm going to defend I'm going to cry myself blind. I think that's a nice ballad. Um, I think if it had been the one of two ballads on the record, it would stand up better. But Yeah, and I, and I don't think... I mean, none of them are like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. They're just kind of like, meh. Like, well, they just the, don't quite connect. He doesn't have the vocal are better for than it. others. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Gillespie, I think, is a really interesting... I don't even know if it's songwriter is the right word, but he's able to bounce around from different genres pretty competently, whether it's, like I said, doing the sort of industrial Exterminator album or doing the uh, 
the the Manchester stuff and Scream of Delico, or he's I think the more recent albums from the 2000s have been a bit a little bit more traditional rock and and with some dance influence from the early years. But to do like the earnest guitar rock, he just doesn't have that vocal range. He doesn't have that depth. When you when you listen to him, you just it just sounds like a guy who's just singing the songs. He's not like putting anything emotionally into it. Mm-hmm. And while I like Rocks, and I think it's clearly the best song on the album, I mean, he's, it basically just sounds like he wrote a, a Rolling Stone song. I mean, off of Exile Main Street or Sticky Fingers or right. Let It Bleed or whatever. Right. I mean, it, like it's clearly, a good Rolling Stone song. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the best <laughs> song the Rolling Stones wrote in the '90s, like you said. Um, but it's not especially original, which is okay. No. And it's, this record overall is, is not original, and it was panned when it came out for not being original and for a band that had just won a prize for making yeah. it, and a completely original and unique record comes back with this, and I, I would imagine that people were like, what the hell? <laughs> so um, I also sensed some, I mean, there's a giant you know, Confederate flag on the, on the cover of the record. So Yeah, what's that about? Well, I, I did set, d- definitely sensed some American Southern rock influence in in the vein of like the Almond Brothers on songs like Big Jet Plane. had that like Dwayne Allman or Greg Allman um, style riffing on that particular song. And some of it, you know, reminded me of some of the slower Allman Brothers stuff like Midnight Rambler or uh, or um, Melissa, those types of tunes. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, I think it's clear that they're focusing in on, like like I mentioned earlier, the stones and the small faces with the up-tempo stuff. I, I, the, the one that, besides the ones that are the instrumentals, which are just awful, and I think they could be deleted. The the f- free, which is the one where Denise Johnson sings the whole song. I'm curious, like, if that had better. I think the instrumentation sort of lets that song down, because um, it, it kind of started out, and I was like, "Ooh, this has got almost like a Marvin Gaye kind of feel," but it just doesn't go anywhere with it. Yeah. And yeah. it's over five and a half minutes long, and at that, being at that length really needed to like build or develop or something needed to happen with that song because she has a really good voice it's just they don't yeah, really use it and the verses the verses kind of have a cool like minor kind of feel and build to them and but there's never a payoff and 
it, it sort of sets up like she's going to belt out at some point, you know, and, and something dramatic is going to happen and it doesn't ever happen. And right. it's a five and a half minute long song. And, you know, it's got a lot of saxophone on it, which, which sometimes doesn't help. Uh, you know, so in place of like this really emotive sort of, you know, destination you get to where, you know, everything lets loose, you just get like saxophone interludes. Sometimes works, but not necessarily in this particular. I did like the horns on the record. You know, horns in this sort of manner, in in the same way that like the Black Crows used them early in their career. I think that they can be really interesting and add a nice depth to the song. But I think you're really like you're really locking down the genre. You know, you yeah. could do a song like Rocks and not have horns on it, and it'd be a little nasty, make it a little nastier and. You know, they, they had elements of punk and hard rock in their early career. So, and he obviously came out of a noisy band with um, Jesus and Mary Chain. So, you know, whether or not they needed those horns on as many of the songs that are on here or even at all, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're staying true to the, the sound of the what they're trying to make with this sort of traditional rock record. Yeah. But I know you're not it's the biggest fan of horns all the time. No, I'm not. I, they don't. They don't necessarily bother me on this record. I guess what what I'm a little lost in is that the playing on this record is actually really good. I mean, it's very competent in terms of what you know. They're trying to sound like the Stones, and like you said, the Faces and bands like that. And and for the most part, they pull it off. Um, I guess I just don't get why. Why are they trying so hard to sound exactly like that? It would almost be better if. And as I listen to the record, I'm like, are they using a, I mean, who, who is playing this music? Like, is it the same? Well, it was like, they had to have gotten like, some pretty competent studio musicians to pull off like all this honky tonk piano and all the horn stuff. And even some of the guitar playing is like, you know, it's that intricate an intricate, but that sort of syncopated, you know, Rolling Stones style guitar where it's like two parts that are bouncing back and forth and playing off each other. And, you know what I mean? It's not like just straight up, you know, somebody's just laying down some power chords. I mean, there's some, you know, some back and forth that had to happen here to develop, you know, this right. to get it to sound right. And 
I guess I, I just wonder, like, why did they go through the effort to try to nail it so dead on when I think in hindsight, if they would have, like, it's like sometimes you stumble on the really cool things when you when you try to do something, you strive for something, you shoot for it, but your own limitations kind of pull you back, but they pull you back into a spot that's allows you to be yourself, but still, as you're attempting to do something bigger, you kind of stumble into this really great space of being very unique and ambitious, but you know what I mean, not not sounding exactly like somebody else. I don't know. Am I making any sense with that? Like yeah, they almost been better if they would have just tried to do it themselves or, or well, that, maybe been a little less produced. It's funny you mention that because part of the reason that this album has this sound is that they went in to record their their fourth album, they started working on it in uh it's September of ninety two. And a lot of the, you know, I mentioned that they've gone through a lot of members, so there's members moving in and out of the band, and they brought in a session guitar player named Ian, Ian Dimon, and he started playing with the band, and he was, like, a riffing guitar player, and they started basically building songs off of his guitar riffs. Yeah. So this a lot of the sound comes from him, this basically this guy who played on this record, playing these riffs and them, them building on them. Now, you mentioned about, like, the keyboards, the honky-tonk stuff. Uh, ben Mont Tench plays the keyboards on the album. Or he's one of five keyboard players that play on the record. Holy uh, smokes. Yeah. Five keyboard players? Yes. Um, <laughs> George Draculius, the producer of so many records, yeah. he plays bass and drums on this record. Also, mm-hmm. there are three other bass players and four other drum players credited to this record. So while there are... The, like the the core members of the band, clearly there were multiple members of or multiple studio musicians that were brought in to uh, to play on this record. Mm. That uh, they don't appear on any other record, and that's why this album sounds like this. Why it sounds mm. so unique. So, but that I guess that's what this band's about, right? I mean, they just kind of do that every record. They just yeah, they they really change the sound of the band from record to record. Which it's it makes it for an interesting listen because you never know what you're gonna get. But sometimes they make albums and you're like, "Holy crap!" Yeah. So, in terms of uh, production, because this is such an interesting record, George Clinton is is credited as a producer. George Coolius is credited as a producer. Um, a guy named David Bianco is credited as a producer who's worked on various albums and then uh tom dowd is credited as a producer and he's recorded people like leonard skinner Derek and the dominoes rod stewart cream the allman brothers jay giles band willie nelson the eagles james gang i mean the guy has there's actually a documentary about him called tom dowd in the language of music and there's a really interesting scene because he recorded Derek and the dominoes so he has like access to the original tracks for Layla, and he talks about mixing Layla and like how complicated that was based on the coda of that song. Cause you know that coda goes on for like eight or ten minutes. Yeah. And he's just like takes you into the studio and he's running the faders up and down and like here's this guitar track and here's this guitar track and here's this percussion and blah blah blah. And he's it's it's a really interesting documentary. So if you ever uh, get to that, but he passed away a couple like about a decade ago. But the, I mean, this was definitely a a record that a lot of people had their hands in. And I think that, that may be why it 
kind of fluctuates where it there are very traditional hard rock stones faces type songs and then there's those weird like jams and then there's that sort of p-funk style with george clinton appearing i mean i guess you're gonna do a p-funk song you might as well just bring in george clinton (laughs) to have him sing on it (laughs) i'm surprised that like jagger or richards don't actually show up bring him I, i don't know I mean, what was George Clinton doing in 1994? Yeah. I just, I, I, if you set out to do like Exile on Main Street, how did George Clinton get involved? Like, at what point were you like, well, let's bring in. <laughs> we're, we're building all these like Rolling Stones style songs, and like all of a sudden, at some point, you're like, well, let's get George Clinton in here. I mean, was he just in the studio for something else and like got involved in the record? Did... He was down the hall, and they were, <laughs> it's so they bizarre. ran into him in the cafeteria, and they were like, hey, let's do a song together. <laughs> It yeah, kind of sounds like that, almost, you know? It, it doesn't make sense, because the first three songs, you're like, oh, I know where this record is totally going. Yeah. And then, yeah. bam, punch you in the face, you don't know where this record's going. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's... I think they were trying to... Not trying, but they were clearly still in their Screamadelica mode at that point, um, in terms of having dancey... Um, sample based you know you mentioned the drum loops and stuff like that uh songs and i don't know maybe that song was from the screamadelica recording sessions and it was something they brought over they something they had started working on prior to the stonesy songs but yeah this is a weird record it i mean and it's weird within a band that makes weird records so the fact that this stands out as being just a bizarrely weird album is i think makes it interesting it's only not well there's two bad songs on here but other than that it's not terrible i mean no there it's just it misses and that's i think the letdown is that they're almost there and they just sort of miss a few songs and otherwise i think it would it would if you cut out the, the two stupid instrumentals then you're at 10 songs, and you could make a case maybe then, but it's definitely not a successful album all the way through. No, no. I, I, all the, all five of these ballads are not necessary either. I mean, you'd no. end up with, if you took off the two instrumentals, you're down to 10 songs, half of them are ballads. It's like, whew, if you're going to write that many ballads, man, you got to... You got to be good. <laughs> you got to be doing something amazing instrumental from an instrumental standpoint or vocally. Or lyrically, or you know, sampling, and right. none of those things are there. So they're just kind of, uh, you know, half half baked attempts uh, at writing sort of these breakup, you know, heart uh, trying to write like a heart wrenching, you know, I just got cheated on, you know, blues, country, rock ballad. Yeah. So that was the most puzzling part of piece. Have they ever done? Had they ever done ballads before or after? Well, is this the only record that has not in that way a, a straight up ballad on it? Not not like in this sort of like wild horses kind of way. No. Yeah. Huh. But they've never made a a record that was anything like this. I mean, this is so yeah. wildly outside the character of the band. Yeah. That they, you couldn't expect them to approach that level of you know, balladry. Mm-hmm. 
So what's your rating? Were the album better EP decent single? I'm in an, I'm in an EP. I, I would take Jailbird Rocks and call on me and then pick the best of the ballads and call it a day. That's, that's about all I need to hear from this record. Uh, I'm also in an EP, but I would expand that. I would take um, Big Jet Plane and Give Out But Don't Give Up. I think that's a good album track. Um, okay. And my ballad pick would be I'm Gonna Cry Myself Blind. I think that has the best use of melody. It actually has some, like, there's a little bit of build to the song in terms of transitioning from the verses yeah. to the chorus. And it has um, a chorus. Yeah. Some of the other ones don't have as much. I mean, I like the use of the organ and, and harmonica in Sad and Blue, but I don't particularly care for the song. Yeah. And everything else is so sort of bland that it's not worth mentioning. So I'm at one, two, three, four, five, six songs. So that's a good, e- that's a good EP for Primal Scream. And it's worth mentioning that prior to releasing this album um, when they were in between records they put out an EP that was sort of the preview for this album and hmm. um, I haven't heard it yet but it's along the lines of this record where it has like a blues with a P-Funk influence but none of it's, these songs are on it? no I'm looking it up right now uh, it's called uh, the Dixie Narco EP and it's got um, three songs or four songs on it. Have they even been to America at this point? Have they toured have they the toured U.S. America? in 94? Like uh, prior to this record, had they spent any time in the U.S.? I don't know. I know that they went touring with Depeche Mode around the world for this record. They opened for Depeche Mode, who I'm guessing at the time were on either Ultra or maybe, let's see, 94, Songs of Faith and Devotion would have been the album. Because that came out in 93. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the, you know. Well, they, and they were also in there, deep in their heroin. <laughs> so, that works yeah, out. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, I don't know. It's a little, I don't know. I don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way, but it's a little odd. The uh, Obviously, the Stones and uh, tons of British bands have, you know, they've uh, idolized American blues music and then interpret it in their own way very successfully. So this isn't the first time anybody's done this, but them using the symbolism of the Confederate flag and having an EP referencing Dixie. And it's like, what do you guys, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of starting to use the visuals and symbolism of something that I'm like, I'm not quite sure if you really know what you're talking about. I, perhaps they have, they've really studied it up, but it, no, you see other, Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, when you see uh, what's that band OAR using um, imagery from you know uh, Rastafarian imagery. You're like, you're a bunch of kids from Connecticut and Columbus. What the hell do you know about the Rastafarian religion? Like, why are you don't don't <laughs> just don't use that? You know what I mean? It's it starts to feel a little bit like that. Like, uh, treading on some weird ground here, but appropriating would be the term. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a little awkward, and I don't know what their purpose was for doing it, but uh, Bobby Gillespie was not available for an interview, so mm. there you go. Can't ask Sorry. him that. So if, uh, if you have some comments about this particular album, Give Out But Don't Give Up by Primal Scream, we'd love to hear them. Stop by, uh, you know one of our various outlets for communication, whether it be the website or Facebook, Twitter, what have you. 
and uh, let us know what you think about this record. And uh, as always, I want to remind people, suggest an album, visit digmeoutpodcast.com, request a review, and also make sure to stop by iTunes if you listen to us via an iTunes download and uh, leave us some positive feedback. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, I think that's it, Jay. We have covered another oddball from the 90s. Another... This is almost the um, in the same vein as like that cult record where it, it's a completely weird oddball '90s album from a, a band that occasionally would stray from a, a, a particular sound, mm. but uh, this is the one that um, we chose to attack and go after. So, but I would suggest checking out Exterminator. That's my favorite Primal Scream record, and uh, it's pretty intense. So there you go. But it did That's not right. come out in the 90s, right? Nope, came out in January 2000, so... It's, oh, it's, oh, man. It's just ineligible for this <laughs> podcast. But we, Vanishing Point is a really interesting record, and maybe sometime we could get to that one. Okay. So, Because it, it was written as a soundtrack about a car, so... That, that's, uh, that's not too shabby. Well, now I feel like I would need to uh, see the movie to yeah, I would properly s- understand the record. It's uh it's not a great movie but it's an interesting movie and I would be in, I'd be interested to try to pair up the soundtrack with the movie like uh Dark Side of the Moon with Wizard of Oz and see if it matches yeah. up. I'll have to try that sometime. Sounds like a weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Katie, hey, I can't be bothered this weekend. I'm going to be uh doing a lot of drugs and then trying to match up the Vanishing Point <laughs> movie to the album and just seeing what happens. I'm just going to see what happens be locked in the basement for for the weekend so yeah you could just lay off that'd be cool just lay off me man (laughs) all right all right right, thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out have you ever woke up screaming because you're so lonely you could die why did you go Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Cry, cry, cry.